Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Well, guys, we have some exciting news for you from Vortex about their brand new eyewear, their Banshee and Jackal sunglasses. Me and Andrew have had these for a few weeks now, right before the release, and we've been extremely impressed. They're awesome glasses, guys. And listen, if you're needing some new sunglasses, not only do they have the VIP warranty, but they're tough as crap, guys. Uh, Scratch-resistant eyewear, uh, it's extremely important. And also, they have safety features as well. So when you're out shooting at the range, again, these are rated glasses, so you are going to be more than protected when you're at the range. But they also look fantastic when you're out around town. So right now, Vortex has some special pricing on their website, which is vortexoptics.com for the new eyewear. But also, if you use the code SOUTHERN20, you get to save even more on this special pricing for right now at vortexoptics.com. Again, check out the new eyewear from vortexoptics.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN20 to save on their brand new eyewear. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the Eco Wild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar, May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you and we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. 
And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Uh, here in early May, we're getting back into the deer content full steam. Uh, and it's been too long, man. It's been too long since we had a good old Georgia boy on here. So we got Mr. Adam Tucker of North Georgia on. Adam, how are you doing? Great. How about yourself? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. Jacob, how are you doing over there? Doing, doing well. We're excited for this podcast, man. We're about to get into a topic that, uh, you know, people haven't heard some of these other episodes I've recorded recently, but we've been recording some mountain episodes with some other guests. Oh, and, man. And this is going to get We got this. some dandies that are going to be coming yeah, out soon. Absolutely. So this got me all primed up and ready for this episode with, uh, with Adam, but... Adam, we appreciate you coming on the podcast. Andrew told me, uh, told me again that you know y'all had jumped on a call. I think it was last week, kind of discussing a little bit about doing this episode. And uh, real quick, before we kind of get into the topics of it, what is kind of like your history and experience hunting, like up in North Georgia on public land, like getting to the mountains, uh, especially when we're talking deer hunting here. Well, I first started off on hunting big woods. Um, you know, my, my dad, we, we owned some family land and my dad would take me on it. And I mean, we hardly seen any deer. Um, so my dad knew this, this really good spot and we've, we've called it the 10 mile walk. It's five miles in five miles out. And, um, it's, it's one of those places you got to get up three thirty, and and be there and be walking to get in in time. And, um, we, we hunted it. I, you know, I was 10 years old and my dad would just tell me take my time sometimes we'd be late because i mean i was so small it's hard for a kid walking that far i mean i would be beat i would just be completely worn out but i killed my first deer in that spot and i had my first encounter with a mature mountain buck ever in that area and after that i was just hooked on it so l- let me ask you this, because uh, Andrew was telling me a little bit more, like you don't necessarily live in the mountains anymore. I think you kind of relocated based off work and profession, and everything else and family. But what gets you excited about hunting the mountains other than hunting maybe like the foothills or, or hunting more like the flatlands, especially in Georgia? Uh, it's just that sense of adventure I get. I mean, there's, you know, you get so far back in there, you're remote. You don't have to worry about, you know, being around anybody else. And I just, I just love hunting big woods whitetails. I mean, it's, they're just a completely different animal. I've been blessed to hunt them in different places and I've hunted big woods in the coastal plain region. And I mean, they're just, they're just different deer. The mountain bucks are and, and where I live, the deer density is so low. I mean, it's just, it, it feels so good when it all comes together on a mature mountain buck. It just, it takes a lot of work. Yeah. And um, to fully put it in perspective for the listeners, we were talking the other day and you were, you're talking about how far away you live from the mountains and, and you're driving past deer to go find the, you know, you're going past high deer density areas to get to the low deer density areas. I mean, uh, tell people how far you're driving to hunt the mountains. I feel like it's a I'm, big part of this. <laughs> Yes, I'm, I'm driving three and a half hours to get up there. Uh, and I, I like to leave, you know, early so I can get there on time. Um, I'm not so much into getting in the woods at like 530 or 6, though. I like to get in there right as it's getting daylight. 
Um, I feel like I've had instances where, you know, they've, the bucks have seen me with a flashlight walking in there and I think they've, they've just busted out before. And I like to just go in there when I can kind of see what I'm doing. And I like to walk and grunt into my spot. So I don't use a grunt call. I just grunt with my mouth as I'm walking. And I've, I've had times where I've had bucks literally come chasing me down before I even get sat down. Yeah. So, and, uh, watching your videos, you, you grunt natural voice, don't you? I do. Yes, sir. Hit, hit, hit me with one of those real quick. <laughs> <laughs> you should see Jacob's face, man. That's, he hadn't, I, hadn't, I didn't tell him that. That's so impressive. It really is. <laughs> uh, the good Lord's blessed me. I, I started doing it when I was, I don't know, I was a teenager and I'd, I'd heard so many of those big mountain bucks do it. And I was like, you know, my grunt calls don't sound anything like that. And it took me a little while, but I, I picked up on it and kept, you know, kept working on it. And, uh, I've tried to teach my dad how to do it, but he, he hasn't got it down. But, uh, yeah, I, that doing that has, I've, I can't tell you how many deer I've called in doing that. I mean, um, one of my big bucks I killed back in 2020, I actually grunted him down to where I was at where I could get a shot on him. And uh, he, it was the coolest thing. I mean, out of all my kills, it's probably my favorite one. And the reason being was, you know, he was way up on a ridge top. He'd gotten spooked. I could hear a dog out in the way out in the distance. And I think that it just kind of spooked him. And he come over on the ridge with me, but he was like 75 yards away. And all I could hear was him walking. So I just immediately just get my scope and I'm just scanning all those woods up there until I just see this big rack and a head. And all I can see is down to his throat patch. And uh, I, I couldn't do nothing with him. You know, uh, sometimes they get in line with trees in that mature timber and there's not a lot you can do with them. So I just kept sitting there watching him. So I just decided, I said, if I grunt, maybe he'll come down here and give me a shot. So I literally just went twice and I'll never forget it. His head just like slowly turned and looked directly at me. And I knew I couldn't move because if I moved, it'd be over. And he just kept staring at me and he finally decided to start walking down there. And he come, I don't know, he probably got... 15 yards closer to me or 20 yards closer. And then I got a shot at the shoulder and I took it. And the whole time he was walking, I'm not kidding. Like his eyeballs never left where he heard me grunting. I mean, I think he was just about convinced what he had heard. You were talking about like, uh, previously working with grunt calls and everything and different grunt calls you were using back then, not to try to get too much into the weeds of this, but like you said, like you can't get a grunt call to sound like what these big bucks sound like. It was just like the characteristic of like, just like the, the, the deepness of it. Like what was, something that you were noticing about the, the, the bigger mature bucks around there that just your normal grunt calls you were previously using just weren't cutting it for you. Well, the, the bucks, I mean, to me, they got like it. I don't know how to explain. It's kind of like a, like a popping kind of grunt. <clears throat> I don't know if you've ever heard them just kind of like, I don't know how to explain it. They'll, sometimes I'll see them and they'll just do like some, some popping grunts. It'll just be, and then they go, and then, I mean, I've seen them do that. I witnessed them doing that and I picked up on it and just started doing it. And my other grunt calls, you just couldn't get it to, you know, sound that good. And I just wouldn't call very many deer in with, with those grunt calls. I might've called 
I don't know, maybe one young buck in. I used to use a, it's been years ago. I think it was a Quaker boy or something like that. I can't even remember what it was. And, uh, I used that and I think I called in a small buck with it, but nothing, never, never, nothing, never really worth shooting. Um, the one big buck that really, like I really keyed into on how he grunted was a buck when I was, I seen him probably when I was about 13 and uh, me and my dad were hunting together on that place I was telling you about we call it the 10 mile walk and um, we always laughed and joked because we would sit all morning and we would see young bucks and does and then we'd be like once we pull out the can of beanie weenies and open them up they'll come and we were just sitting there laughing about it I mean we waited till one o'clock and my dad popped him over and I'll never forget this doe just come bouncing right by us. I mean, we're sitting on the ground and she's in heat and my dad's just like, you better be ready. So we're just sitting there listening and like literally on this ridge, you know, behind us. And I mean, he's, we can't even see him. All we just hear is the loudest, just, just grunt. It's just, just, just like that. I'll never forget it. And, uh, when I heard it, it's just, it's just I'll never forget hearing it, and uh, it was the biggest mountain buck I've ever seen. We we figured it was probably I don't know one sixty five or one seventy, and my dad's never killed one even that big, and he's killed quite a few big deer, and he was convinced that it was about that big, and uh, unfortunately, I had to take a run and shot at it. It was running a doe, and uh, if it wasn't for this small little tree I hit, it would have been a dead deer. I shot as it was running and. When it hit that tree, it blew splinters out all over its shoulder. And, you know, I'm sure you've seen a mule kick. Uh, mule kick, and my dad's ass looks like a dead deer. And we got over there, and it was just nothing but hair from where the little splinters hit him. And the tree was like the size of my arm. I mean, it was not a big tree at all. You know, when they're running like that, you really can't see stuff like that that good, you know. Yeah. Well, so, um, man, there's just so much to this, man. First of all, listen, I'm going to tell you right now. You do that grunt, but puts like chills down my spine. Like, over here, just like, dude, I'm like, I'm like, this is like ridiculous. I feel like we're just we're talking to like the mountain man himself. He's been fired up. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but so I, I want to talk a little bit more just about like the kind of characteristics of like kind of how you've molded yourself into like being like a mountain hunter. What are some of those right. things that like to be successful in the mountains, especially if you're talking like North Georgia? But so we're talking the Appalachian Mountains here, but it's specifically North Georgia. What are some of those like characteristics that a hunter has to be or do the certain things they have to do in order to be successful up there. Uh, I know before we start talking, you're talking about like aggressive terrain and some of that stuff, uh, which we haven't mentioned yet on the podcast, but you know, what are some of those things that a characteristic someone has to be able to accomplish in order to be successful up there? Well, I mean, first and foremost, you have got to be patient up there. I mean, I've literally went up there and this was when I was living up there. I sat one, one time it was like, for three weeks straight, I didn't see any deer in this spot. It's a really good spot, though. I mean, it's, I mean, I've killed the biggest buck ever killed was in that spot. Um, and sat for three weeks and finally killed one on one of the last days that I was probably going to get to hunt it. And um, I, if, you, if you can be patient with those deer and not burn spots out, because I know a lot of people, unfortunately, they burn spots out. They hunt it too much. And I like to get a spot that's like that, a remote mountain area and hunt it maybe, I don't know, every weekend, like, you know, Saturday and maybe, maybe even go to a different spot the following day. Um, 
that and in you know you just can't burn out those spots like that because when i was younger i made the mistake of burning out spots and it it took me a while but i finally just i figured it out i was like i'm just hunting this a little bit too much and when i started laying back that's that's why i started getting successful and, and you got to think in those a lot of those areas i'm killing these deer and they are like just in really remote areas so when they pick up on on my scent i mean they know instantly something's not right I, i'm talking about even rut crazy bucks i have seen them do it like literally i mean it's like they just know something's not right they'll be with those i've seen them do it uh big bucks and uh, it, it's just crazy you just got to be really patient and uh, especially like i like to hunt off the ground i know a lot of people don't do that and um you, if you hunt off the ground you have got to be still and you, you know you got to make sure you have a good setup you don't want to be sitting in the sunshine you want to be sitting in the shade even though it'd be really cold but that's just a few of the mistakes i see people make and, and some people they don't hunt close enough to the bedding areas either yeah so uh, adam you just mentioned a couple things right there i'm, I'm super interested in breaking down not only talking about sitting on the ground and bedding areas but also talking about the patience so you're talking about like having the patience but you're not talking but when you mean having patience, you're not mean like hunting the same spot over and over and over and over, over again. And so like right, you right. You, you just got to be the way I like to do it is I like to have like multiple spots I can go to that. I know there's going to be you know spots I can kill one, but a lot of people, they just, they get to go into these spots and, and I'm not going to lie. Some people have just high expectations on them and, you know, it just, I mean, I've done it myself before. You just think it's going to happen right here. It's just going to happen, but it doesn't. And a lot of people, they get high expectations. They get burnt out quick. I mean, I've seen it happen before. And, uh, you know, in the big woods, you got to think in the mountains where I'm hunting, it's like the deer density is so low. I mean, I could literally be sitting in a funnel next to a bedding area. And those deer have like... I can't tell you how many different ways to get around me. I know they've done it before. Uh, big deer and, you know, small deer. For that. I mean, you got to think when they got so much ground to cover, I mean, that makes it so much harder to hunt when you're getting out there in the wilderness like that. But I, that's what really drives me to go, though, because I want to know why that buck's going down that trail, why he's using that trail. And a lot of people, you know, another mistake now I just thought about it people make is, you know, they don't, People don't hunt faint, but what I call faint buck trails. Um, I know you've probably seen them. You see these very small, just you can barely see them, faint, scraggly looking trails. And those are the ones that you will kill mature bucks on. Like it, it, it can happen. Uh, the heavily used trails, that's where I see my young bucks and my does. And I, I don't know why you just, I think I've maybe killed one mature buck that was around a heavily used trail. And that was going to, he, he was just coming to check to see if there was a doe over there because I'd flipped a bleak can at him. So. Uh, Adam, there, you just said so much that me and Jacob are arguing over who gets the question here. Uh, bef before we get into this, there, there's so much meat on the bone to what you just said. But one of the first things I want to ask about is, you know, finding the general area that you're going to. I, I want to get into the trails and the bedding areas and all this uh, funnels. But like you mentioned, the 10-mile walk, uh, one thing that pops into my head and probably a lot of other guys' heads, especially guys who are just starting to hunt mountainous terrain like myself this year, is you, you say you got a spot that's five miles back there. What, 
what is it that catches your eye five miles back that makes you walk past all that other stuff that you know you're going five miles past uh is it just the remoteness of it or is there some specific thing back there that you're looking for well it's two things it's a remoteness and it's because i'm literally right next to a bedding area um i've i've hunted that place since i killed my first deer and, and that's that's been i don't that's been years and years ago and every season that i hunt that spot um the deer use the same trails they're going to these same bedding areas and you know if you sit all day um you watch them come back out of the bedding areas you know and uh it's it's a spot it's a really cool spot as i'm just on a small ridge and on both sides of me are small funnels they're not very big um and those deer will literally go through those funnels and go into that bedding and they're bedding in ivies um that's that's where these particular deer i'm telling you about are bedding and um i mean it those bucks are constantly coming through there and, and like i told you earlier about the the giant deer when i was a kid it looked it was 165 170 that deer was doing the same thing that doe was going to that bed now i mean it's the direction that the trail she was using and i know that was the way she was heading but it's it's like that like that one trail that i'm telling y'all about consistently i see deer on i mean i've seen them for years on, on that one little trail and like if you can figure out how to set up on stuff like that where you're in and like i said i'm hunting on the ground so you really gotta be careful the way you set up uh hunting off the ground because i've i've blown it in that spot when i was young i mean just completely just just blown it just by doing stuff that i just didn't know any better i was just learning and um but that they use those funnels to go to that bedding area and i've I, they've just done it for years even when there's not very much food back there they're still using that same same spot i mean i could go back there it's one of these spots that i know when i go i'm going to at least see a deer i know for a fact uh, even if the weather's not good so in, in the other spots we walk by going in there you know they're just a lot of uh you know kind of wide open flats and stuff and would you believe all the years that we've been i mean you know we walk out sometimes before it gets dark we'll walk out at i don't know two or three o'clock in the evening if we're if we got to leave for something or whatever and uh we've hardly ever jumped any deer the whole way out i mean it, it's really crazy it's that that one spot they key in on so i i want to i want to talk a little bit more about this uh, about the cover and, and the, what the bedding looks like but you keep mentioning funnels uh what kind of funnels are you are you seeing back in there i mean are you talking saddles bluff gaps uh, what's it look like saddles uh saddles i like to hunt saddles um and you know just to go back into i just thought of something else about this spot i was telling you about um so this a lot of people they get pretty disgusted and they're ready to go by 12 but this is one of those spots that literally like that buck i was telling you about i seen him it was at 1 30 and we have literally seen mature bucks there all times of the day it's not like one of those spots where it's you know it's a nine to ten a.m stand it's not like that i mean it's you literally have to be prepared at any moment adam i, I don't want to like i'm not trying to like burn your spot or anything here but talk about the <laughs> talk about at least there's one area that we're talking about right now the characteristics of it you're talking about it's a, it's a small ridge that has two saddles on each side of it so you got two two funnels on each side of it 
I'm guessing closer to like the, the head of the main ridge that this you know smaller ridge yes. is coming off of. Is, yes. is this yes. area, would you describe like this secondary ridge point like in an area where you have like multiple other secondary ridges like <laughs> dropping down to like a certain bottom? Um, as, there, there is. So it's almost yes. like, almost I guess the way to describe it is be like that spoke on a wheel. Like this one ridge is one of these spokes going towards that center hub and you have two saddles, uh, one on each side, uh, I guess the right and left-hand side, if you want to look at it like this way, uh, of that secondary ridge point. Do you feel like an area like this, the way you describe it, because this is something, Andrew, I don't know if you pay attention to those, those messages that were going on today with Paul and Shane. This is exactly what they were talking about here. Uh-huh. Um, by the way, in this area, do you find many, like towards like that, that the very, uh, I guess the top end of the secondary ridge, this the small ridge you're hunting, uh, in this, at least in this one location, is there any like scrapes that happen up there, like in and around like the base of that ridge? Not on the base of the ridge. Uh, it happens right in the edge of the ivies. It's like literally right where the ivies start. Uh, that's where they make their scrapes. Uh, down in the funnels, you know, on both sides of the ridge, there are rubs in both those funnels. And occasionally on the ridge I sit on, there'll be rubs, but it won't be anything, uh, you know, it doesn't look like anything from a, a big deal. I'm sure some of them are, but um, I mean, there, this in this area, there's so many like little young bucks, and you'll see them from time to time where they rub some of these small saplings around where I sit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm sitting against like a, a big white oak, and I just kind of press my back up to it. I mean, you don't want to be leaning forward and all that kind of stuff. Like, I know it can get uncomfortable. I've sat there all day, but it's one of those places where you just can't, you can't do a lot of movement because they will literally bust you. I mean, I've had them bust me from a long long ways off and see in in the ridge in front of the small ridge i'm sitting on it's on the other side of the the funnel i'm telling you about um it's all the way around it it's just thick i mean i don't i don't even think you could shoot one in it so thick but they come from that and they go to those ivies and bed in those ivies it, when you're talking ivies, or, or you're not talking about like Matt and Laurel. Like, what do you when, when you're talking ivies? Uh, I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying to imagine what this is because I know about Matt and Laurel, and then you also have rhododendron right. potentially in some <laughs> areas. It, it's it's like rhododendron, yeah. It's just it's ivy bushes, just what I've I've always called them. And they'll bed. There's mountain laurels right around there too. They'll bed around them. Um, but I'll tell you something that uh, I'll I'll go ahead and go into another spot that's uh, kind of similar to this spot. Um, now they've been completely different in this spot. I don't know why, but I've killed two big bucks in this one spot and it was in the same season. Um, I'm sitting right up against their bedding area. Like I've, you see them going in and out and it's one of those stands or, well, where I said, I sit on the ground. So trees, it's, it's literally a 9am to 10 like spot. They will, I don't ever see any deer after maybe 10 five or 10 15 i mean it's it's really weird spot but if you're there in the right time you you literally catch them using these trails they've got a few faint trails and then on down below them where it's kind of wide open you got some heavily used trails that's the doe trails and and the young bucks i mean i've just i've observed them just you know walking them um but they use it's pretty much ivy's right where i'm kind of sitting up against they'll go in it but the thing about this spot is i find it, it's it's different is they won't really bed in those ivies very much so i'm sitting on the side of a ridge if you can imagine a, a big really steep mountain i'm sitting on the side of it 
and above me, way above me, is that top. Well, they they don't they don't really go on the top very much. Mature mountain bucks in North Georgia they do not use tops. If you see one on the top, something's wrong with it. They like to use just the sides and the funnels. Um, I have literally seen them where they bed on the side of those ridges where there'll be like a little shelf, and they will butt up against like a bluff. There's a bluff in this spot I'm telling you about. He will literally butt butt up against it and just be kind of facing my way and be looking down that way and all those trails. He, he sees everything. So it's one of those spots I have to be really, really careful about how I, you know, approach approach that area because i mean i go there and he already knows i'm there i'm about blown the hunt don't even know it and it's he's got there's two different bedding sites on the side of that ridge it's two different shelves one is on my side and then the other is around kind of around the top on the other side and it's it's different i like this this little bedding area it's like one big bed and it's literally on the side of like a cliff and I mean, I said that I filmed it. I'll have it in one of my videos probably this summer or fall where I stood or sat in front of his bed and, and was talking about where he'd bedded. It is literally face steep below where he had bedded on that little side of that cliff. But if you look about 70 yards, it, it just, it kind of flattens out just enough where there's a few trails in there and there's a really old logging road. And he is literally watching and smelling whatever's down there, including me, if I'm coming up from that way. So he already knows I'm there. It's a really hard spot to, to get into. And it's, it is like face steep. It is very hard to hunt. Houndstooth Game Calls is your home for turkey calls this spring. Go check them out. They got all the classic turkey calls. You know, they got the pot calls and the box calls and the mouth calls, but they also got a couple really interesting calls. One of them is called the the success call, and you just need to go look it up. It's very, it's like a box call that you can work with one hand. It's really, really cool. Sounds incredible. They also got the Spurmaster, which is another very unique call that you can get some really unique, clean tones out of. They're going to help you out this turkey season. Use the promo code SOP20 to get 15% off of your order at Houndstooth Game Calls. That's SOP24. Use it at checkout. It helps the podcast. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. 
What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Yeah, see, now I've got a ton of questions, uh, Adam, just about this. I mean, we've got a ton of notes that we're taking here. Just some things that you're talking about. And a couple things, we're talking about the characteristics of like hunting the mountains. Real quick, you know, I'm sure you've hunted other places than just the mountains. When it comes like hunting the mountains versus like flatland or rolling hills, is there? Do you see an advantage of hunting the mountains when it comes to predictability about how deer are going to use the areas versus what you might find in, in more, I guess, gentle rolling terrain? You know, I, it just depends. Like, I'll be honest; those mountain bucks are so unpredictable. I've done, I've seen them do some crazy stuff. Um, but you can, I mean, you can look at areas. Uh, just you know, when you're getting boots on the ground, just scouting postseason or whatever i can look at some areas and probably figure out that yeah there's going to be that's going to be a good spot for one to bed but they've surprised me they have done some i've seen them do crazy stuff like just i've seen them bed in crazy places but typically where they bed is like where i'm kind of describing to you it's either in that thick stuff or in kind of like on a shelf on the side of a big ridge where they can look down and they're smelling you know whatever's whatever's down below them so i mean they already know you're in the area before you even know the deer's there and uh those deer they're that's what makes them so challenging to hunt and you know one of my favorite ways to hunt them is i like to hunt them in bow season but it is so challenging because you know they don't start rut until thanksgiving their pre-rut where i hunt is probably not even till i would say the second week of november from in the areas i hunt that's just what i can tell um, in bow season, like from September to October, you want to talk about a tough animal to kill. I mean, it is like Im- almost impossible to get within bow range of one, much less see one, I guess. I mean, just from September to, to Halloween, I mean, that's a tough animal to hunt in, in those mountains. Like in, in that time of year, you got, I think there's a little bit more pressure on them because everybody's excited to be back in the woods. Um, but then it starts getting good at the rut. And I mean, I've found like, hunting late season can be better because everybody's you know i'm not dealing with as as many people you know trying to trying to hunt around my areas but like i said like i I try to get far enough back to where i don't have to deal with that but i can definitely notice when there's a lot of pressure being applied to area because it'll push those deer further back and they get in an aggressive terrain i mean i've just i've seen it uh this past uh season um we uh our season ended in early january and i hunted till the last day and i I had a second tag i was wanting to fill i didn't get to didn't get to fill it but uh that next day it was supposed to be a nice day of course the last day of the season was the weather was rainy is awful and that and i was like you know i'd just like to go the next day and just see if i could walk around and get in some of the really aggressive terrain areas that i know where that that buck is at and just see if I can walk around and grunt and see if I can just figure out where he's at. So I got in some really aggressive terrain and a lot of people don't believe deer will get around like big rocks and around caves and stuff. I've, I've heard people talk about, I've, I've just heard people say, you know, they'll try to avoid that kind of stuff. I literally grunted and walked up on an eight point bedded in that stuff, like big rocks. I'm out. And and when he seen me and smelled me, he run through that stuff. Like you wouldn't even believe. I mean, he's like a mountain goat and it was real high elevation. I think it was, 
I think it was, if I remember right, it was 4,200 feet where I jumped in that, if I remember right. And it, it was up high and just a weird spot. But they get in those spots. And I noticed when I walked up on him, you know, I had him confused, grunting at him. He was up bedded just on the side of those rocks to where he was looking from where I was already coming up. I was just walking up his trails, what I was doing. I want to talk more about the aggressive terrain and everything, but one more thing on bedding, uh, not knowing exactly how everything sets up where you're at. Uh, what is kind of the layout? You're, you're talking about like rhododendron or ivy thickets and stuff like that. And on the phone, we talked a little bit about blowdowns and stuff. Uh, is it is it good pretty much anywhere you're finding that thick cover or is some of that cover kind of dead and you got to find the right the right patch of thick cover to hunt? I would say you need to find the right patch and it just it really depends. Like, for instance, like the one area I was telling you about where I'm really up against the, the ivies, it's really open for the most part all the way around that ridge. Even when I told you, you know, the, I found the two buck beds, it's really open there. I mean, they could see... I'm not gonna lie. They could probably see over a hundred yards just down through all. The, it's all mature hardwoods, and um, I mean they're just set up to where I mean they are just tough to hunt, and they get in those rhododendrons. I've seen them get into rhododendrons occasionally, and um, in 2020 I killed those two bucks. I killed then the nine pointer. Um, I killed him. He was he was headed in that direction to go in the ivies. And then in, uh, let's say it was December the 23rd, I got coronavirus and, and got uh, off work. And thank God that was, that was a big blessing. I made myself go. I wanted to, I knew there was another big buck in there. I couldn't stand it. So I drove and got there, was worn out. And I just sat there and I was like, you know, I really don't even care if I kill, a, uh, you know, another buck and get to fill my second tag. I said, I'm, I'm just happy with my big one I killed. And sure enough, I heard something walking. I looked, and he was coming out of those rota, out of those rhododendrons, and coming right above me. And I, I tagged out on a, on another big mountain buck, and I just, I couldn't believe it. But yeah, they, they love those, those rhododendrons. It's just in certain spots. I mean, you just have to do a lot of scouting, and it took me, a lot of scouting to find that area. I'm telling you guys about. Uh, and it's actually, to be honest with you, it's an overlooked area. A lot of people would probably look at it and say, oh, it's, it's too open and you know, you're probably not going to see anything there. It's a night nice spot, but it's not, it's a, it's a great spot and it, it's just, there's a lot of walking to it, but, but it's, uh, it's definitely worth hunting. I, I got a couple questions about that. First of all, real quick, you killed those two bucks you're talking about on back to back days, didn't you? No, I killed the nine pointer on November 28th, 2020. And then I killed the eight pointer on December the 23rd, 2020. I, I, uh, hunted, uh, from the 28th to the 23rd and I only seen three does in that spot. And that I was hunting, you know, about every weekend, I wasn't trying to push it too hard on that area, but I knew there was another big buck in there because after I killed my nine pointer, I started seeing fresh sign again. I could tell it was a big one. I was like, oh man, there's another giant in here. Uh, I just, I knew if I kept on, but if I didn't put too much pressure on it, I figured maybe I could get it done. But see, the day I went up there when I had uh, COVID, I pulled my camera. I had my camera on a scrape. I never had a deer on it. And I was like, man, that was just, I can't believe it. I was disappointed really because I figured I would at least have him on camera. I just wanted to see what he looked like. And 
sure enough, he comes through that same morning. I mean, I literally just sat there and checked my camera not long before, you know, he came through. I was looking at it on my little uh, phone, but uh, yeah, it was that, that was a that was a crazy year. It was just the good Lord really blessed me. I mean, it was just one of those years where got in the right spot and it just it, it all went right, just the way I wanted it to. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of a two part question, but uh, first of all. Are you, in addition to this thick bedding cover, are you keying in on any kind of uh, food source, like a certain kind of oak or anything like that? Um, and I'll just, I'll let you go ahead and answer that, actually. Um, well, not really. I mean, to be honest with you, I, I like to let the deer tell me where, where they're at. I'm focusing on, like, some of the freshest sign I can find. But really, if, if you want to know really truly what what I'm looking for, like, I get in spots sometimes where, to be honest with you, they'll only be like, I don't know, like three or four rubs and maybe a scrape, sometimes maybe not even a scrape, and there'll be a trail or maybe two trails. Believe it or not, I have had a lot of success in those spots versus spots that I have sat in that's got rubs all over the place. Like you couldn't look without seeing one. So that's kind of what I look for. But of course, when I find that spot I'm telling you about that has just the just a little bit of buck sign there in those spots, that'll be where those faint trails are at. And I think that's why I get it done in those little spots like that, because those faint trails, I mean, they're, they use them. And I mean, it could happen at any time in those kind of spots, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was just about to ask, you know, like, how do you know when you're there? How do you know that you're in that specific spot? But I want to talk a little bit more about these, uh, these faint trails and these buck trails and everything. Um, just go a little bit more in depth on it. You were talking about, you see big giant trails, like, you know, those big, I call them like ancient trails that you're carved yep. into the side of the mountain. They've been there for a really long time. And, uh, and you see does and stuff on them, but you might not. And I, I've heard this from other guys besides you that, you know, you'll see a lot of deer on them, but you're not going to see that mature buck on it. Uh, but then you got the faint trails and those little faint trails are going to be the ones that you don't really see very many deer on, but you might see the deer on it. Can you talk a little bit more about those and where they are maybe in relation to those uh, bigger trails? I mean, are they in proximity to them or just way far away from them or just anything about well, those? Some of them are in proximity to them, but uh, a lot of them I found that are just kind of kind of out by themselves. Some of them are. I mean, it just it really depends. I've seen it both ways, to be honest with you. Um, it's just like – to be honest with you, like just about, I mean, in the mountains or even, for example, down in the swamps and stuff, like I have found faint trails down around like the coastal plain region of the state. And just like this past shed, when I was shed hunting this past season, I was going down those trails and that's what I would stay on. I would find the biggest sheds out of any of the sheds I would find would be right in those trails. And I even found a big matching set right in that faint trail. And where that faint trail was at, there was like literally like four or five other faint trails going to the same spot. And I was like, I wonder if, you know, there'll probably be more sheds here. And I found another really big shed, um, around, around those trails. So it's, yeah, I mean, it just, I've seen it though. Like I said, I've seen it both ways. Like I've seen good spots where there's big trails and faint trails, but I mean, it, it really it just depends on, um, of course, if does are in the area. I mean, you want you want to be hunting where the does are too in the rut, um, because if you can get a faint trail that's in proximity to a pretty heavily used trail, then that's that's probably where I'd be sitting. Yeah, I mean, if if I could, so. Adam, I've got 
a couple questions here. Um, talking about timing areas with daylight movement, and wh- what I mean by that is, like, yeah, there's you can find faint trails, you can find the heavy trails, you can find the bedding areas, but what kind of features about an area tell you that there's a higher odds of potential daylight movement versus another area? You know, how much uh, you mentioned earlier, like those bucks very rarely, if ever, on top of the ridges, they're going to be on the steeper faces. But like in relation to like the steep faces and that security cover or even some of these open timber, is there any kind of combination that when you find a certain combination of like really steep terrain, the rocks, whatever, you're like, I have a better feeling that there's a potential higher likelihood that a buck coming through this area on this faint trail is going to be during daylight hours compared to maybe more so during nighttime. Yeah, yeah. I've got spots like that. Um, just for example, I'm thinking of one. Uh, I've got a spot where it's like a flat um and it's got a a small ridge it comes like right next to it and um this this big buck i killed and i'm I'm talking about was on a faint trail uh and it was literally right i mean it was almost next to the big trail that was was getting used and this area my dad's hunted it for a long time and I, i hunted it since i was a kid like that kind of spot it's just a I don't even, it's hard for me to explain, but it's kind of like the spot I was telling you earlier about the 10 mile walk spot. It's, it's got a small ridge to the left of me and into the right of me, there's a small ridge with mountain laurels all over them and they're going back and forth out of them. And one thing I have noticed in those spots is those bigger bucks, they'll go like, like they'll go high above like where you would see the does go in to some of the laurels they go up a little bit higher i've noticed that with a with a couple of deer uh that i've shot uh i've, I've just seen the does go kind of like in it i don't know how to explain it. i just see them go in different ways typically is what i'm saying um and and you know you can tell that by the trails we were talking about but yeah air, like areas i look for um typically are, are flats and funnels that's the two, I mean, just for me, that's a, my two favorite areas to be hunting in the mountains, uh, especially if I can find a small funnel that has like a bluff or something maybe maybe behind it. So it's got to kind of push them to go in that um, funnel, if you know what I'm saying. So just, I try to use terrain to my advantage too in finding spots. Yeah, absolutely. Also, when we're talking faint trails and everything, there and there's there's got to be some factors here that maybe we're overlooking or or not thinking about when it comes like kind of having this conversation. But when you're talking about faint trails and you're setting up in these areas, there's got to be something else that's like catching your attention when it comes to hunting a spot. And I guess kind of taking out like historical sign or your historical knowledge of areas. Like if you're going out there and you're scouting a new part of the mountain and you're going to an area, there's got to be certain characteristics along with that faint trail that's like okay. I'm putting time in here. I'm going to hunt this spot or hunt this area a couple times and either say, Hey, I'm going to, you know, maybe you see the buck and you get an opportunity or maybe you don't see anything that's worth hunting. You keep moving on. There's got to be something that's going through your head when you're going through and you're kind of, you know, marking spots off as you're trying to find these different characteristics we're talking about, especially talking these faint trails. Is there anything that we're missing there is like kind of how you're like marking stuff out and kind of moving on until you find that right spot, especially if you're in a new area. Well, to tell you the truth, you know, kind of talking about that, like usually the spots that I think that like I'll be thinking, I don't know if there'll be a big one come through or not. It looks good. Uh, it's got a little bit of cover in it, but I just, you know, sometimes I won't have like a lot of confidence in that spot. 
um, that's typically the spot I need to be hunting. Um, if I can get in an area where it's got some cover in it, like I don't want to be hunting in a big, huge, wide open flat. That's where a lot of people make mistakes um, in the mountains too, is they'll go to these big, huge, wide open flats and man, they are not going to go through that. They just know better. Um, you, the only way you would see one, I guess, if, if somebody pushed it on you and that stuff. Um, but I mean, I like getting in places that got a little bit of cover, um, just not completely wide open. You just, I've never had any success doing it where it's completely wide open. So that's kind of the thing that I like to look for. Um, and, and, and where I've seen most of my mature bucks at, it's, it's, they've got some cover close by them, you know, they, they're in the ones I've jumped out of beds, you know, they've been in like butted up against that cover. They don't, they don't necessarily get in the thickest cover that you could think of because, I mean, you got to think about it. They're, they're going to want to get out of there if something busts them out. So they typically bet up against stuff. That's what I, what I found. And, and they, and sometimes like they'd just be in kind of open spots, but I, it's kind of hard for me to explain some of the beds I'm talking about. It's like the ones I was, was talking about earlier, kind of an open shelf, but, but bedded up against a bluff. And I love, I love hunting shelves. That's another thing I forgot to mention too, was, was, was shelves. That's, that's a great spot to hunt, especially if you find a faint trail in it. That's, that's a, that's a kill spot for me. And, but so it seems like just when we're talking about the betting aspect, it's like similar to what I've talked to other mountain hunters is a lot of times these bucks are betting very often in with a visual advantage. They're going to have some kind of hard structure to their back, whether it's a blowdown, yes. whether it's the rhododendron, mountain laurel, a tree, whatever, but they're going to be, be able to visually see. And a lot of times from what I've talked to other mountain hunters, and you can tell me yes or no on this, a lot of times it's like they're looking downhill. They're never really looking uphill. It's always looking downhill or side hill um, with kind of how they're bedded in the location. So they can kind of visually see if something's coming up to them, correct? Yes, yes. Um, and then also you mentioned the term shelf. And I know everybody kind of uses different terms. When you're talking shelf, you're talking like a very, not really like a bench, but like a very subtle, almost like a little logging path or something, like a very subtle little. Kind of. Yeah. yeah, like a like a small flat, like a really small flat. Um, they love those little things in the North Georgia mountains. That's they love to sit up there in bed, and they'll be you know you'll typically go to those spots and you'll find you know that little faint trail on occasion you you know you'll find where their bed's at, and there will usually be a rub or two in that spot. Typically, I mean sometimes I've I've hunted big bucks that to be honest with you they make very little sign. Oh, I mean. Like you would think, oh, there's not a buck in here, and then sure enough, you kill a big one. So I'm I'm interested in on talking to you and figuring out how are you going about scouting these areas. Um, uh, you know, we're talking about a lot of this stuff that I'm interested in, but I'm trying to kind of put the whole picture together when it comes to how you're scouting some of these locations, but also how do you pick once you find one of these areas that has the sign or has the the features you're looking for. How are you going about picking? How do you want to set up these areas, especially when you're talking about hunting off the ground? If you're hunting like one of these little these little flats or these little uh, uh, shelves or a saddle, you know, talking your funnels, how do you like to set up? And when you're doing that, figuring that out while you're out there scouting to put yourself in the right position. Well, I, I try to get above them if I can. Um, you know, you don't want to. I'm not saying sit on the top of a ridge because you'll, you'll stick out up there, but I want to be above them if I can be, if I know like exactly the trails they're using. 
um, that that's the kind of thing like I, I really look for is I, I, I don't like being below them and that's happened a few times and I've got the job done but I would for me I would rather be above them um, and, and you were talking about some of the spots that you know in scouting I look for to be honest with you I go to places where I, I try to go places where I see like where nobody else has been and the the terrain is just like extremely aggressive like uh, I was just thinking of a spot um, back in February I was doing some scouting and, and looking for some sheds and and I went in this just the awfulest thicket you could think of steep and um, you know I kept going and I, st- I started like losing a lot of confidence and I was like man this would be the worst stuff for a deer to walk in but I came up on a small shelf there was a bed there was a few rubs but it was too thick to hunt it gun or bow you just couldn't do it with with nothing so i just um i kept going i I think i covered about two ridges over and i dropped down and i found a small funnel that's just open it's kind of a little bit of open hardwoods mixed with a a little bit of rhododendron growing around it and there's a small ridge next to that funnel and i literally found where he was i think i may have even jumped him out of his bed i found where he was bedding and he literally could see me coming down there hear me i'm sure smell me and he could see everything below him above him and i was like this is a spot i I plan on hunting it this winter it's going to be a awful place getting into but the good thing about it is i did not see one any type of hunter sign in there zero i didn't see anywhere anybody had been in like years and years i didn't even see any trash or anything so it it was one of those really remote spots where i'm thinking if i can set up on it right maybe i can get it done on a good one he's using he's got his sign in that funnel he's got a scrape in that funnel and then right above it is his bed and he's literally just looking he can see all ways around him and he's butted up kind of against a big uh mountain laurel and he's also got one kind of above him a little bit. He's under, but he's he's facing to where he can see. Yeah, it sounds like that's that's the kind of deer that uh, clearly has the maturity on him because he's been in that area that's it's almost like one of those unkillable spots. Like you're going to have to be in the perfect situation to be able to get an opportunity at him, especially if he's already oh, yeah. bedded there. Which again, that's that's one thing I've heard from other you know other guys I've talked to in the past and guests is like you find a bed like that that's probably a pretty big and old buck just because again, he's found a spot like that. That's, you know, makes it very, very challenging for any kind of predator you get, you know, within, you know, a decent distance of that deer. Um, right. it, it, it brings up something else. I'm curious with, with you talking about hunting, you like to try to get above the deer if possible in some of these different situations and hunting. What does your entrance routes normally look like in the mountains? I mean, I know you can't always stay on top. You can't necessarily always stay on the bottom, but when you get within that half mile where you're going to be hunting, are you trying to get on top of the, the highest point there and drop down on top of them? Or are you coming from the bottom and then somehow, you know, going over the top of the ridge and dropping back over the other side? How do you go about trying to focus on your entrance uh, when you're hunting in the mountains? There's some places that I have to come up from the bottom. I really don't have much of a other choice. And the reason for that is, is I'm afraid I would jump them trying to go the other way. Um most some of my spots i go to i can get in from above and not have any worry about it about jumping them it just it really depends because i've just got several different spots where the layouts are just are just so different and um but my my favorite spot is is the one i was telling you about they would bed above me 
But the problem with that spot is it is so hard to get like to to get like above them there without jumping any deer. Uh, and toward the end of the season, I got a lot more aggressive, and I I kind of I would get up uh, closer to lunchtime, and I usually don't do that. I usually sit past lunch, and um, I got up, and I would walk up those ridges where I think they're bedded and just try to figure out exactly how they're setting up and and that's how I've, I've figured a lot of this stuff out is just late season trying to bump them trying to figure out where they're at you know the best time to scout is late season i mean i've done early season scouting and been successful that way but i would say what has helped me out the most is getting out there in late and um, just just going out trying to figure out exactly where they're bedding i mean you don't want to do that in the summer i mean i like to to scout in the summer too but i don't go anywhere near their beds um, but, uh, you know, where those bucks in that spot are bedded, I literally have to, it has to be a really good day. Like I, it can't be really windy or anything. I have to really time that spot, right. If you understand what I'm saying. And, and the same goes for that other spot I was telling you about it, the, the 10 mile walk is it's literally, you don't want to walk back there and, and you know, the wind's going to be bad or something like, you know, it's going to be eight, nine, 10 miles an hour and blow out a spot just because you just you wanted to go in there that day so it, you ha- i have to be really picky about the ways i go in and the good thing about the 10 mile walk spot is i can i always come in from above them in that spot that spot i'm actually able to get in from above them without spooking them and to be honest i think i've only spooked maybe one or two bucks that i visually got to see and my dad was with me. It was when I was younger on one of them, and he got to kill it. So, um, yeah, it, it doesn't happen. We just we have to – I don't know. You just have to plan it out really well. And and thank God that day we walked in there, like I said, we waited till it was light enough to where we could see to shoot one if we dropped down on him. And it worked out perfect that day. So, Well, Adam, there's uh, we've covered a lot here. I feel like there's so much more, but we're coming up on an hour. We might have to have you back on this summer talk deer again awesome. or, or maybe talk bear because man i talked some uh, interesting bear stuff with you on the phone which we can get to later but w- the last thing i really wanted to talk about is uh coming from somebody like like mine and jacob's perspectives uh we're both really interested in getting into some more mountain hunting this year we both have a little bit of experience doing it not a not a whole lot uh but you know like i want to make the most of my summer and and get out there and kind of start getting familiar with some of these areas before season starts just to get my feet up under me and and kind of learn the terrain. So like, for instance, this weekend, hopefully I'll be able to get out there and uh, do some walking and looking around. You mentioned you like Mm -hmm. to scout in the summertime. Uh, What are some things that you do look for in the summertime? I know you said you didn't like to go to beds or anything like that, but what are some things that guys can go in? Let's say they're starting from scratch like we are, that they can go in and look at and it'd be useful for the fall. Well, the type of spots I'm going to, and I, I got a good example of just thinking of one. Uh, so I found this, this one area that was fairly new to in the mountains. Um, I hadn't, didn't really have a lot of knowledge on it and I uh, didn't really know anybody that deer hunted it a lot. It was really steep, rugged terrains. So I said, well, I'll go in there in July. I don't know anything about it. Um, I go test it out. It was so hot and humid, but it was worth it got on some big historical sign um found kind of where they're they're coming down from their beds and um that that spot i I told my dad about it and i I gave him coordinates all that kind of stuff and he actually went back around that area in september of this past fall 
and found where that where a big buck was bedding in there and literally found a shed it was like i think he said it was i don't know a couple of feet from from one of his you could tell where he had bedded a while back ago and it was just in a perfect spot and and he he said it was just laid there perfectly where he could see it um but i literally went back there this fall just just knowing what i knew from from the summer scouting and literally got in that area and i figured the way the deer were coming they were coming from down out of a bed in there i couldn't in this spot i really couldn't get above them so i had to get way down below them and wait for them to come to me so this spot hadn't had any pressure and i get there and literally have a nice buck a shooter buck come down on me come just like i wanted him to and i don't know what happened it just wasn't good lord's plan that day my gun would not fire i don't know if if something something happened something was in it i checked it as soon as he left and it shot just fine but it would not shoot and i tried multiple times tried working the bolt and everything but i had to watch him walk off which was sickening but it taught me a lot just by see just by going in there in the summer and figuring that area out and seeing where they were at where their trails are at, where their historical sign is i mean that taught me so much about that one area and um and, and you can do it you know in the heat i don't like to go early in the morning or anything because i just feel like i'm busting a bunch of deer uh, i try to go midday when i feel like i'm not busting anything out but it's it's really hard summer scouting because like i said it's just so hot and humid i mean it's it's tough on you but it, it can pay off you know it, it's definitely can be worth it absolutely um adam to kind of close this out here i, I want you to plug your guide service uh, as well as your youtube channel so uh tell people about your guide service because you actually uh, guide people in georgia yes uh, i just started guiding last fall um you can find me on uh, facebook at adam's appalachian adventures and i also have a youtube channel it's hunting and fishing in god's country and uh this uh summer and fall i plan on doing like a, a video series on how to hunt mountain whitetails so i'm excited about doing that i've been working on editing some of it up today so really pumped for that yeah i've been watching i actually found you through youtube i meant to say this at the beginning of the podcast but i was looking up uh just video like hunting videos and i was doing something in the den one day and i wanted something in the background and i stumbled across one of your videos and uh started watching a bunch of them and and you've got some great stuff man i mean there's stuff uh, you and I know in one of your videos you were going through uh, and showing how you do like your walking and grunting sequence and everything, uh, and, and then you got a couple big bucks on there that you've been able to take over the last couple of years. So really good stuff, and I'll link it in the show notes uh, for anybody listening to this who wants to go to your page or your YouTube channel or uh, or your guide page or anything like that. It'll be in the show notes. So they can go hit that and uh, check it out awesome awesome thank you so much yeah no problem man well uh, adam we really appreciate appreciate you coming on and uh hope you have the best of luck scouting the summer and uh going into the fall y'all too man All right, guys, we're starting to get kind of close to summer here. And you know what my favorite part about summer is? The Mobile Hunters Expo. Y'all heard us talk about it a lot last year, and we actually got to meet a lot of you guys at that expo. Well, we're excited to announce we're going to be there again. This time it's going to be in Dalton, Georgia, June 28th through June 30th. We are going to be there all three days. We're going to have a bunch of past podcast guests there. We're going to have a booth where you can come by and grab some merchandise. And I'm sure we're going to be recording all kinds of podcasts there. If you're unfamiliar, the Mobile Hunters Expo is the place you need 
need to be. If you are the kind of hunter that listens to this podcast, this show was literally made for you. It is an excellent group of people that are going to be there. A lot of whitetail killers from around the southeast are going to be there. You're going to get to talk to them, shake their hand, learn from them in person, make some connections. And guys, we get a lot of questions about uh, which saddle should I get? Which tree stand should I get? What about this piece of gear? What about that piece of gear? How do I meet other hunters who want to hunt the same way that I do? You know, finding a good hunting buddy. The Mobile Hunters Expo is a place for all of that. So you guys don't miss it. June 28th through the 30th, Dalton, Georgia. We'll see you there.